Hi there. This is Allison McGee, your host, sitting on a sweltering couch on my sweltering front porch on a, wait for it, sweltering evening. Sweltering, such a good word. There is a breeze, but it's one of those aesthetic breezes that makes the leaves sway and look pretty, but does nothing to help the sweat. Tonight, I am thinking about a listener in Germany named Birgit. I'm suddenly wondering, am I saying that right? Birgit, such a beautiful name, who wrote in about a recent episode in which I talked about my lifelong shame over some careless words I tossed off once years ago in front of someone I love. Here's what Birgit had to say. Allison, I know so well what you're talking about. So many unkind words I'd like to take back. At least to me it seems like many. I'm not even sure whether whether the addressees really remember to this day what I said, but I will. Maybe that's the punishment. Just like things we didn't say when we should have. What I wanted to ask you... Are you also haunted by moments when something really bad could have happened? An accident, for example, but then things went well? Instead of forgetting it or simply being grateful that all went well, I keep imagining the terrible things that could have happened. Sometimes I have to get up at night and do some reading just to get that film out of my head. And sometimes I tell myself seriously, it did not happen. It did not happen. Reliving actual scenes in my life, or my loved ones, and knowing what a close escape it was, is the horror movie. I can't tell myself it couldn't have happened. Birgit's question. Are you haunted by moments when something really bad could have happened? An accident, for example, but then things went well? The short answer is, yes, I'm haunted. The longer answer is both a question. Aren't we all a breath, a pivot, an offhand choice made or not made from our own endings? And a comment, which is that the more you love someone, the bigger that fear is. Now I'm thinking about a trip I took a number of years ago at the tail end of summer. One of my daughters was with me, my older daughter. Her belongings were jigsaw puzzled into the trunk in the back seat. She sat in the passenger seat, or rather she reclined in the passenger seat, and slept. She slept almost the entire way, over a thousand miles, as I piloted the rental car through the highways and byways of Minnesota and Wisconsin. On the car ferry that crosses Lake Michigan, the two of us made our way to the top deck and dragged lounge chairs over to the side. She reclined hers fully and fell asleep for most of the four-hour journey across that vast lake, waking up when I pressed half of a giant chocolate chip cookie into her hand. Once in the car again on the other side, she fell asleep again. 
While I drove the vast forests and hills of Michigan, a remote and, in my opinion, highly underrated state, when we crossed over into Canada, blessings on you, Canada, you vast, kind, and beautiful country, you. She fell asleep again. She came awake when I spontaneously steered the car toward Niagara Falls, where I hadn't been since I was a child. And the two of us got out and walked the length of the stone-walled path, cooled and softened by the ever-present mist rising from those enormous falls. Why am I sleeping so much? She said. Well, you're tired, I said. It's been a busy summer. She nodded. It had been a busy summer. Travel, socializing, working, all busy things, things that can tire a person out, but not really when you're 18. What was really happening, I thought, was that she had spent the summer not thinking about what was coming at the end of it, or maybe thinking about it but pushing it away, which was this long trip that was carrying her away from the city of her birth, the city she loved carrying her away from the place that held her childhood, carrying her away from me, I decided to say something true. You're sleeping so much because I'm driving, and you feel safe because your mother is taking care of you, and it reminds you of being a little girl, so you let go and you fall asleep, I said. She smiled. There were only a few hours left to this trip now, and she didn't fall asleep again. It was too late now not to think about what was to come. All the newness, all the unfamiliar people, all her friends back home. Not that all her friends were back home, not really. They too were dispersing, if not to places a thousand miles distant than to places closer, but still different. Different places, new places, new lives. The thing that was really, truly happening was that she knew, fundamentally, that the life she had lived up until now was over. Still part of her, as it would always be, but over. I glanced at her, gazing out the passenger window. She was the second of my three children. Her brother had two years of being the only one before she was born. Her sister would have two years of being the only one now that she was leaving. She was the only one who had never had a single stretch of time with just me. For some reason, this had never occurred to me before. And as I watched her looking quietly out the window at the woods and lakes of upstate New York, the knowledge smote my heart. Something else I knew, but didn't say, was that she slept so much on that trip because what was to come was inevitable. There was nothing she could do at this point to prevent it. With it, not even meaning choosing where to go to college, whether to go to college, who you'll live with when you're there. None of these decisions were the catalysts of the change she was facing, but time was. The simple fact of years, years that go by, that ferry a person from one stage of life to another, Sometimes you're aware that it's happening. Other times, it just happens. There have only been a few times in my life when I wasn't trying to influence the outcome of something, 
when I wasn't striving for something, urging myself on, making lists, endless lists, working on things that wouldn't see completion for a long time, if ever. What all this busyness means, ultimately, is that I count on there being a future. I count on there being days and weeks and years ahead of me. How often has it happened that I just stop, shut down the planning, the thinking? Rarely. Almost never. Two times come to mind. The first time I was a child, riding in the backseat of the station wagon with my sisters. My mother was driving. It was winter in far upstate New York, snow and wind and black ice on the road. The car began to slide. It was sliding sideways, and I was looking out the window, and I knew it was going to slide right into the ditch, right into the wall of snow on the side of the hill. There was nothing I could do. I just let go and let it happen. The second time, about an hour after my daughter, this one, the one looking out the window on the final leg of that thousand-plus-mile journey, was born. She was a long time coming, like her brother before her, and by the time she was clean and swaddled, I was so exhausted I couldn't sleep. When everyone was gone, the nurses, her father, the silent, smiling man who brought me a plate of supper, there was only one lamp lit in the room. It was night. It was winter. She was sleeping in a plastic walled box on wheels next to me. I don't know why I turned on the TV. It was not something I ever did then. But I did, muting the sound. There on the screen, bombs were falling on a distant country. My country was bombing another country. I had brought another human being into a world full of bombs and violence and terror. For the first and only time I can remember, this didn't matter to me. I didn't start planning and worrying and shaking my head. Here in this room was stillness, a lamp, a sleeping baby, a plate that held baked chicken and green beans and buttered toast. I let go and let it happen, closing my eyes and going to sleep in a quiet room, in a busy city, in a world at war. Here's the poem that came to mind when I read Birgit's letter and thought about what she'd said. I wrote it a few years after my daughter's birth. Bargain. The newspaper reports that at twilight tonight, Venus and Jupiter will conjoin in the southwestern sky, a fist and a half above the horizon. They won't come together again for 17 years. What the article does not say is that Mercury, the dark planet, will also be on hand. He'll hover low, nearly invisible in a darkened sky. I stare out the kitchen window toward the sunset. Seventeen years from now, where will I be? Mercury, Roman god of commerce and luck, let me propose a trade. Auburn hair, 
muscles that don't ache, and a seven-minute mile. Here's what I'll give you in return. My recipe for Brazilian seafood stew, a talent for French braiding, an excellent sense of smell, and the memory of having once kissed Sam W. Then I see my girl across the room. She stands on a stool at the sink, washing her toy dishes and swaying to a whispered song, her dark curls a nimbus in the lamplight. The planets are coming together now. Minute by minute, the time draws nigh for me to watch. Minute by minute, my child wipes dry her red plastic knife, her miniature blue bowls. Mercury, here's another offer, a real one this time. Let her be. You can have it all in return, the salty stew, the braids, the excellent sense of smell, and the softness of Sam's mouth on mine. And my life. That too. All of it I give for this child, that seventeen years hence she will stand in a distant kitchen, washing dishes I cannot see, humming a tune I cannot hear. Well, friends, that is it for today's episode, and thank you for listening. If you liked it, please spread the word by sending the link to someone else who might like it. And, if you're so inclined, give us a good rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Original theme music for our show is by Dylan Parisi, who can be found on Instagram at dylan.field.parisi, P-E-R-E-S-E. Additional music composed and performed by musician Kelly Krebs. Today's poem, Bargain, was written by me and read by me with my own permission. <laughs> Words by Winter is created and hosted by me. Writer Allison McGee, tell me what you're going through, what you're thinking about, what uncertainties or troubles you're dealing with, maybe in the silence of your own mind and heart. Tell me, and I'll go in search of a poem to help you through, to help all of us through the way that poems have been helping me since I was a little girl. Because sometimes life is too hard, too intense, too much. And if that's where you are, reach out. You can send me a voice memo via email to wordsbywinterpodcast at gmail.com or just write me at the same address, which again is wordsbywinterpodcast at gmail.com. For more information, go to ellisonmcgee.com. Words by Winter. Conversations, reflections, and poems about the passages of life, because it's rough out there, and we have to help each other through.